0: I'm Dennis Kennedy in Ann Arbor. And I'm Tom Mile in Dallas. In our last episode, we looked into the crystal ball, or maybe it was the magic eight ball, about what's happening in Web 3. It's a must-listen for those of you who want to get prepared for what is or is not coming in the world of Web 3. In this episode, we wanted to start the celebration of the publication of our new book, The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, Work from Home Edition, and talk about some of the new highlights in the book. Remember, we are collaborating with others all the time, and we'd best start getting good at it. Tom?
1: What's all on our agenda for this episode? Well, Dennis, in this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, we will indeed be celebrating the release of our new book and talking about some of our biggest takeaways from writing it. In our second segment, we're going to return to our hot or not segment and debate the merits of folding smartphones. And as usual, we'll finish up with our parting shots that one tip website or observation that you can start to use the second that this podcast is over. But first up, we are happy to announce the publication of a fabulous new book for anyone in law using technology. And that's um, just about everyone in the legal profession and everyone who interacts with someone in the legal profession. Dennis, is the subtitle of our book, Smart Ways to Work Together, the best way to get this conversation started?
0: You know, Tom, I really think it is. And there was a part of me that wanted just to make that the title of the book because I think that... um, all of us are working together all the time and uh, and there are smart ways to do it and then there's the regular way to do it and i think the book drives at trying to make people better at collaborating to make it easier to collaborate and 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 really i think just to be smarter about the ways that we work together. So I think that is a, a, a good way to think about the book. Alan, uh, and I'll ask you, why did we uh, call it the work from home edition?
1: Oh, well, we call it the work from home edition because uh, it really we started talking about writing the book during the pandemic and as a result of the pandemic, but not just about that, but I think that um, it was... The pandemic that sort of, I would say, are ushered in a new world of collaboration, or or maybe the better way to put it, and, and what's, I think, leading into your next set of, of topics you want to talk about, is um, it it opened people's eyes to the necessity of collaboration tools, as well as um, the fact that uh, it it brought a lot more adoption of collaboration tools uh, because we were all – Apart, we were all forced to be apart, and uh, so this was uh, the what we did here was we, we 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 took a little bit of a turn and we talked about the best ways to collaborate, not just when you're in a law office, but when you happen to be anywhere. Uh, in most cases, uh, in your home, but it doesn't really necessarily have to be your home. It can be really anywhere in the world, uh, uh, as long as you've got an internet connection, you can collaborate with anybody.
0: Yeah, and I, it's would be it's such a uh, better description than the back to the office edition which um, uh, you know it, it's it's kind of interesting because i think that as as lawyers look to go back to the office they think they're going back to an earlier time and that this work from home stuff and you know zoom and these other things aren't aren't going to be as important anymore but actually collaboration is 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 with here with us and it's uh, going to be a huge part of of any any law firm that goes back to the office so at the time one of the things that we heard a lot of over the last couple years is that legal tech advanced 10 years in 10 months in
1: in 2020 do we buy that I don't buy that. Not not the well. I, I say that I don't buy that. I think that some aspects of legal technology advanced a great deal, and I think that ten years and ten months is a uh, is a is a nifty catchphrase to use. I'm not convinced that um, things moved all that that uh, that fast. I mean, we'll talk about some other technologies like. Um, e-signatures. They, that sure advanced a ton. People who didn't realize that, uh, or didn't who weren't doing e-signatures before, certainly jumped on that bandwagon when they couldn't show up in offices or send couriers to sign paper. Um, the fact that we're largely, most most of my clients are now largely paperless, or at least are not creating f- new paper going forward. Um, I prefer um, I prefer a better catchphrase, um, which was, I believe. Attributed to Winston Churchill, which, and I'm, I think I'm paraphrasing, "Never let a good crisis go to waste." And what I like about uh, the, the the last two years, as as heartbreaking as it may have been for some, as depressing as it may have been for some, many lawyers did not let the pandemic go to waste in terms of adopting and looking at the right technologies. Some by necessity, some willingly, um, and a lot of, I think, advancements were made in. Um, working remotely, um, finding ways to work with people, even though you couldn't be in an office together. I would say that um, for those of you who did not catch up quite as fast, there is still time. And so uh, I I think that there were a lot of people who did not let the crisis go to waste. And that I think was kudos to them. And I think that has resulted in um, a lot of advances, maybe not 10, 10 years and 10 months, but a lot of advances in how people work together
0: yeah I think it's there's a widespread distribution so i I think that um you know the ten years and ten months is catchy you know my phrase that on average legal tech advanced two and a half years in the last two and a half years is not a catchy phrase but so i I think we saw uh there were some uh, pockets where you saw things uh, move forward rapidly, some areas where things didn't move at all uh, where you might have expected. But I think over, overall, there was some movement forward, but I don't think we saw the big, big change that uh, um, you might have expected uh, early on in, in the pandemic. Uh, we're but lawyers I, after all. Right. And, but I will say, Tom, the one thing that we realize writing the book and talking to everybody we talk to is, is there, that collaboration just does seem more important now than ever. And people realize that and they're starting to think about um, how they actually do work together. So I I would say that the the one thing that I, I still think we have a ways to go Tom because uh, I still have talked to lawyers recently who say that they don't really understand this whole collaboration technologies and tools um, and and the reason they don't understand it because they just have their secretaries deal with other people um, and so I think there's still some education uh, to go on this but I so I don't know Tom it's it's not like everybody advanced forward but I I think there is some advance. Are you still seeing some people just not even understanding the concept of collaboration?
1: Well, my favorite story over the past, actually this story is within the past three months, so it didn't even, wasn't part of the last two years, is um, working with a group of lawyers, not on a legal matter, but on a volunteer matter, and I posted a shared Excel spreadsheet For people to um, access. Um, And all I needed them to do was to correct the information in there, leave notes, and it was a shared document. Everyone had access to the same document. It was something that was saved automatically to the cloud. Um, And I got about three of the lawyers in the group sent back saying, first of all, they said, Uh, Well, this is my first time working with Excel, which was kind of stunning to me that I don't know how long Excel's been around, and this is the first time lawyers actually been using it. And some of those people, along with four or five other people, downloaded the Excel spreadsheet and emailed it to me after they made their changes, despite the fact that they didn't have to do any of that. So yes, my answer, that's my long-winded way of saying, yes, there are still many lawyers who do not understand collaboration, and uh, so there are many opportunities there.
0: And so the book is for them. It's for people who are uh, consider themselves sort of, you know, average at collaboration. And uh, and there's plenty of stuff for the people who think they're really good at collaboration. We're gonna we're gonna make them think uh, and and show them some other things that they can do. So, Tom, we want to uh, spend some time on this podcast, kind of talking about our. Are sort of the things that we felt were new or the observations that we had that we really saw as as the highlights that we took from when we wrote the book. And um, I'm going to start that off by by saying I, I just have the insight that the collaboration technology decisions are actually a lot easier now than they've ever been, in my opinion. Um, but I think the culture and the priorities are actually harder to uh, to address than they ever have, so simple example. I think that most law firms these days have Microsoft 365. I think that gets you maybe ninety percent of what you need with the with the collaboration platform and to do a lot of the things you need in a way that you can work with clients and others, pretty easy. And so, just making that choice kind of gets you pretty well into the game. Um, I think that. We're in this, I I sort of joked around about the back to the office thing, but there is a huge emphasis on back to the office. And that does have impact on whether people are saying like, oh, these tools that you were using and you got used to and Zoom and stuff like that. Maybe we're not going to support those as as well uh, because you should be back in the office. So that's a cultural thing. And then and then trying to figure out what your priorities are. You know, is it efficiency? Is it, uh, you you know, uh, profitability? Is it uh, uh, client, you know, client focus, all these different things. And that's where I think that uh, what I like about our book is the forms and the templates, including a, a client uh, survey that we put in the book. I hate to use the term, uh, you know, is more than worth the price of the book, but, but in a way it is, because I think that a big part of the book is helping people think through what they need to do on collaboration to, and to make those choices.
1: Tom, how about you as, as your first highlight? Uh, so my first highlight was that I think that uh, the single biggest collaboration change we've seen over the last two years was learning how to meet with each other when you couldn't meet in person and or how to communicate without meeting with each other. I think those are two of the biggest I think trends or movements, things that we saw a lot. You know, this is the time in the past two years that the word Zoom became both a noun and a verb. Um, it is part of everyone's, I've got a Zoom meeting today, not anything about I've got a video meeting, I have a Zoom meeting. It's like Kleenex. Um, Microsoft Teams usage grew at an exponential rate because. Companies, law firms already had Microsoft 365. It was easy to adapt to that type of tool. Virtual backgrounds became the new office decoration. That was a new thing. You're on mute or can everybody see my screen became new meeting catchphrases that we probably didn't have before. But now I think many people prefer to meet virtually rather than in person 100% of the time. Um, It's more convenient. We are slowly adjusting to the problems inherent in online meetings. I think that's slowly, but I think it's safe to say that we aren't going back to all the time in-person meetings ever again. I mean, there might be a priority on bringing people back to the office, but I think that many people are still saying there is, instead of, even though they might be bringing people back to the office, we're still going to meet with clients virtually. We may not travel to their town anymore to do it. it there is less hesitancy to um, to meet virtually than there was before. It just wasn't something lawyers thought about before. Um, on the other hand, I think that we're going to start seeing more use of being able to communicate without meeting with each other. I think that that. We've, I've seen so many people talk about, you know, this meeting could have been an email and these meetings are terrible. And um, I, 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 granted, there are lots of bad meetings, but um, one of the ways that people are dealing with it is in the area, and we've talked about this on the podcast before, the area of what we call asynchronous communication, which is finding new ways to communicate with people. And instead of, you know, having a meeting, it's Posting a five-minute audio file or a video to say, Here's, here are the things that I w- wanted to talk about in this meeting. Y'all can review this on your own time and, catch, and get the information. Or um, instead of calling and having a meeting to t- discuss things, then uh, recording small voice messages to go back and forth and have a discussion about things. Um, having a conversation on your time rather than having to find a time that everybody is available to do it, I think, is where... We are starting to see the notions of meetings go, and I think that's a very interesting trend. I think it's more outside the legal community than it is inside right now. I'll be interested to see if it actually gets there in the next couple of years. Dennis, what are you uh, for your second highlight?
0: Well, I my second one is is the word I sort of coined that you you don't like so much. Uh, I don't. Is, I don't like
1: this. No. <laughs> which is.
0: Co-collaboration. Uh, but the concept is that what I see is that we're now deciding or seeing that the collaboration collaboration choices that we make don't take place in a, in a vacuum. And often you can't dictate uh, what tools or platforms you're going to use. And so uh, the choice you made is made in conjunction with the people you are collaborating with. So you have to find something that makes that makes sense. So if somebody's on uh if you think you're going to have a Zoom meeting and somebody's n- not using Zoom they're on Teams then you're going to you're going to figure out you know how to make that work and so uh, you you need to have this flexibility you need to understand what's going on on the other side you need you need to choose uh tools that that work for everybody and i think that's that's one of the things that's moved us to some of these uh common denominator platforms like uh, uh, you know Microsoft Teams over Slack and, and some of these you know Zoom, uh, where you say like oh, more people are going to have them. There's a little bit more universality to that. And then we're also uh, to echo what you were saying a little bit is as part of that. Those choices we're making, we're figuring out what the right tool is for what we need. It, you know. Does it need to be uh, a video meeting? Does it need to be something else? And we're picking the right tool for it. We're matching the tool to what the, the work we need to do together is. And so I call that co-collaboration. And, and it really is, uh, it's just a, in a way, it's a form of politeness and saying, like, let's figure out how, what's the best way to work together. And I can't dictate
1: to you, what, you know, how you're going to work with me anymore. Okay, I'm going to let you have that word, but really it's just collaboration, Dennis. It's, that's all it is. It's all collaboration. Anyway, my next highlight is more about the future, um, which is looking at what I think are the next generation of collaboration tools, what collaboration areas we've got. And there's two main areas that I think are sort of interesting. Um, The first one is the idea of the virtual office, which is um, we're not ready to be back in the office together or we're never going to be back in the office together all the time, but we want to be able to work with each other. And, you know, we miss the ability to, you know, yell across a cubicle and ask a question or meet at the water cooler or meet in the lunchroom and talk about things. And in writing the book, I was very intrigued at at the number of tools that have come up where you can simulate that online and you can see your avatar walking across the office or you can all be in a conference room and talking together and they they use spatial audio so that you know, when you're in one part of the, quote, office, um, you can't hear what's going on across the, across the hall or in another room down the hall of this office. You have to walk there to hear what's going on. And I think that's a really interesting way of, of, of managing uh, a workspace uh, if you have to be virtual is you can go and move your avatar to a quiet room and you can just work, but you'll be there if somebody wants to walk in and say, hey, do you have time for a quick question? Then and you're there and you can talk and it's all audio, but you're still virtual. I'm really intrigued by that possibility. Um, the second thing is another thing we've talked about on the podcast, which um, we didn't really talk about this much in the book, but I'm really intrigued by the idea of the metaverse for collaboration is in using um, using different worlds out there um, to start working together in uh, and collaborating with each other um, in a virtual world. So, you know, Dennis and I spent some time um, in, uh, in using our Oculus quests, uh, uh, working in a conference room, and we could have presentations there. We could put a whiteboard up. We could draw things. We could collaborate in that area virtually as virtual avatars working with each other. Um, I think we're just in early days there. We've got, there's a lot of kind of metaverse worlds that are starting to be built. Uh, I think there's more to do there. But I think that those two areas are going to be very interesting for the future of collaboration. And and I think where a lot more collaboration is going to start to take place um, over the next few years. Dennis, what's your next highlight? So I love these
0: tiny improvements, so tiny apps, tiny tools that give big results. And so it's interesting, right before we started recording, Tom and I both uh used the tool to allow us to to submit the times that for potential times for meetings that uh, we were available um, as part of a group that are all going to be collected and then they'll choose the one where most people are available and it was a time I'd used the tool before but I hadn't but it's it's just the functionality is super easy there's a number of uh, you know a number of tools out there but so the the tools are things like doodle which allows you to find a time, that times that people are available instead of doing the whole email, like, are you available this time or that time? Calendly, I really like uh, for making appointments uh, so you can just expose the times on your calendar that uh, people can make appointments and they can just make appointments for, for Zoom meetings. And it just frees up a lot of administrative time, um, and just gets things on your calendar. Microsoft Teams, I think is uh, does some, some similar things because it's of its versatility. Uh, so you can, you can message somebody and say like, do you want to convert this into a call or a video? Um, and I, I think that's important. And for me, uh, the one thing that I hate is, uh, uh, people who know me uh, know very well is I don't like to have people just call me out of the blue. It's sort of like, uh, I feel like people are saying like, Hey, uh, I want to be impromptu and call you out something that you were totally unprepared for and put you on the spot. I'm kind of like, no, just like get on my calendar. It's like, perfect. And then, then I can do a little prep. I'm ready. I'm in, you know, I'll be able to talk to you. And, and these little tools, a lot of them free, uh, uh, can really, uh, address something that's a big annoyance for you in collaboration.
1: So my next highlight is a variation on Dennis's theme, which is don't look at just tiny tools, but look at simple tools. If you are not... Uh if you are new to collaboration, if you're not sure whether this is for you, look at some of the ways that you might actually already be collaborating with people. And so here's some of what we think are the, the just dead simple ways to do it. Just look at your phone and look at the share function. Um, whether you have an Android phone or an iOS phone, being able to share a picture, an article, um, a, a, a song, Uh, anything from your phone and you can share it to a person in a text message. You can share it, uh, to, uh, to a Facebook page. You can share it to a team site. Um, it's easy for you to share with people using that share function. Um, this is the essence of collaboration. Uh, online shared calendars are so simple to use. Um, I will say we recently had another, uh, another human being added to our family and we have created a shared calendar for all of, us to, uh, to, to to work on. And uh, we are all adding things to it when something that impacts the family comes up. We have a shared calendar that we can all visit to see what's coming up and who's doing things. Dead simple and very easy to use. There are a lot of online whiteboarding tools that are also simple to use. Uh, you can just go in and start brainstorming and sketching out ideas you might have for something in the legal realm or just anything that you have going On with people that you're working with, we talk about bookmark sharing tools. We've talked about raindrop.io. It makes sharing collections of bookmarks again very, very simple and easy to do. So, I think if you're still inching your way toward collaboration technologies, try and start with a simple tool. Go with something that you're already using or something that maybe you're a little bit interested in. It's not too hard to use. I think that will help you dip your toes in the water and become more comfortable using those kinds of tools. All right, we've got a, lot, a little bit more to talk about on our collaboration book, but before we do that, let's take a quick break for a word from our sponsors. Be the best resource you can for your Spanish-speaking clients with the Spanish Group's legal translation
0: service. Experienced translators ensure accurate translation of your documents
1: with same-day delivery. Confidentiality is ensured, and the Spanish Group guarantees acceptance for certified translations. All that and their rates are competitive. If you need other languages, The Spanish Group translates in over 140 languages. Mention legal Talk 20 when you request your quote for 20% off your first translation. Visit thespanishgroup.org. Filing court documents, serving legal papers, collecting electronic signatures, all critical parts of the litigation process, yet ones that are time-consuming and error-prone. But what if you could do more straight from your case or document management software? InfoTrack automates data entry, document selection, tracking, and information syncing across all these core tasks and more by integrating with your core systems like Clio, Smokeball, Leap, MyCase, and others. Spend more time on substantive legal work and less time on busy work. Learn how simple it can be at InfoTrack.com simple.
0: And we are back, Tom. Do you have one more highlight for us?
1: Yes, my my last highlight is also about the future, and it is whatever you come up with. We think that you should find a way to uh, future-proof your collaboration strategy. Um, you want to adopt. Practices that will stand the test of time. So you're not always having to look at the latest new thing and switch over and do something completely new because um, you didn't think it through the first time. So here are a couple of things to think about when you're future-proofing your strategy. One, the cloud is no longer an option. The cloud is the essence of collaboration because it is a place where you can share things and everyone can get to them. So get your heads in the cloud and start to think about using that as part of uh, as part of any collaboration strategy as Dennis mentioned before, platforms offer consistency. Um, if you have a platform like Microsoft 365, like Slack, or something like that, um, you have a consistent way to collaborate with people, and the platform becomes, um, you know, a much more uh, stable, consistent thing to use over time. To the extent you can, standardize internal and external collaboration. The way that you collaborate internally with your coworkers should mirror, to a great extent, how you collaborate with people externally. Obviously, there's going to be some differences because some clients will want to collaborate in different ways. But the more that you can standardize these, the easier it will become to stand stand the test of time. And then really, in all of this, um, don't let perfect be the enemy of the good. I mean, a good enough strategy is always going to beat a perfect strategy that you never get off the ground, that you never implement. So um, just get in there and and develop something and don't try to make it perfect because that will rarely, if ever, happen. Dennis, what about you? You know, that's my
0: slogan for this year. Good enough is good enough for now. Uh, So my my last highlight is uh, looking to the adjacent professions. Um, So if we look at what happened in the healthcare profession uh, during the time of COVID so far... That we see patient portals, we see video doctor appointments, we see a lot happening. And I, if if you would have had me predict in 2020, I would say that. Uh, the client portals would become almost ubiquitous, but they really haven't um, in legal, whereas in medical, they really have. And so I think that it's important for the legal profession to look to those adjacent prof- professions, whether it's healthcare, accounting, insurance, you know, uh you can consulting the the whole group and see see what's going on there and say, does that make sense? When I have the you know, and say ask when I have the interaction with these other professionals, uh, what is it about that experience that I like and and why am I not doing that? And one of the big ones I, I think that you you get in these other professions is just being able to pay online by credit card, which is still all too rare Rare in, in the legal profession. So, Tom, let's go to rec- some recommendations. So uh, you've given some already, but what are we recommending that, uh, you know, if you read the book, what are the recommendations you're going to get that, that people do these days?
1: Well, my recommendations are really simple, and I'm just going to hit a couple since we're running out of time in this segment. Dennis has sort of mentioned this before, but talk to your clients. How do they collaborate these days? Do they have a preferred method of collaborating with you? There is nothing worse than forcing a collaboration strategy on a client who doesn't want to work that way. Um, You know, the challenge there is to not wind up having 25 different ways of collaborating with people, although you may do that. Part of one of our things that we talk about is find a way to be agile and be versatile and be familiar in Teams and Zoom both if you need to be. Um, We think that's a good idea, but it really, um, you you stand a better chance of good relations with your clients if you at least try to understand how they prefer to communicate and collaborate with you and that will help out your strategy. Um, I think that um, the idea of small experiments, especially if you're not used to doing this, especially if you haven't really gotten in the habit of using collaboration tools, um, you know, most of the tools in this book are free to use. They're free to try or they are well worth the investment. So, uh, you know, try them out before jumping in and, you know, don't jump in unless you've had a chance to try it out. Don't put all of your eggs on a tool that you can't give a test drive to and see if, uh, if, if, if it doesn't work for you because there's really nothing worse than purchasing it and finding out that it doesn't meet your goals Although there are things to be said about failing. If you fail, then just figure it out and move on. The the problem with failure is it can become expensive over time. So having a well-thought-out strategy ahead of time does help with that. Um, we also think buying the book is a good idea. So that would be another recommendation that we would have for you here. Dennis, any recommendations you've got to take us out uh, of this segment?
0: Yeah, so I have three of them. So one is I... I really want to emphasize that you should not go backwards. Don't allow yourself to slip backwards with this sort of back to the office, back to the normal, back to the old ways thing. We really did make some advances and the people that you work with and your clients really appreciate some of those things. So resist the urge to go backwards. I think the second thing is to consider what you already have because there's more and more collaboration features built into the into the programs and the software you use especially the cloud tools and i would actually take the time to sit down and go let's look at every tech tool that we use and list the collaboration benefits of it and what are their deficiencies and and make that part of what you want to address over the next year. So how can we improve those things? How can we get rid of the deficiencies? How can we make better use of the benefits that we have? And the last one is that I think as you look at technology strategy and planning, Collaboration has to be a core of that. I sometimes see uh, people saying they want contract lifecycle management and what should they buy, what programs should they buy, you know, what features, that sort of thing. I'm like, they and nobody ever lists, like, how easy is, is it for somebody to work with me using these tools? So how can I collaborate through them? And so I think that, you know, saying one of the things I look at, and we give you some forms and templates to help you with this, is how do I make collaboration part of my technology and uh, strategy and planning? And Tom, Uh, I'll turn it over to you for final thoughts and maybe you can let people know how to buy the book.
1: Well, so we're going to put a link in the show notes. Uh, you can buy the book right now at the American bar association bookstore. Um, if you're listening to this in August, it may still be on pre-order, but we expect the book to be published by the end of the month and will be making its way to you very shortly. So, uh, please, uh, please order early and order often. And, uh, With that, I think we've done enough of an ad for our book, so let's move on. Uh, Let's move on to our second segment. But before we do that, let's take a quick break for a message from our sponsors. Delegate out those tasks that take up your time. Staffy can help you with your legal, administrative, marketing, and even client-facing workload. Hiring Staffy's top-notch bilingual virtual staff means Staffy does the recruiting, hiring, and training for you. Then, if you need a change, Staffy handles it. You get to concentrate on your strategic work. Schedule a free consultation at staffy.cc. That's s t a f f and get $500 off with code HAPPY24. It can be frustrating to wade through the malpractice insurance application process, but you know you need to protect your firm. Alps designed their application to be flexible, easy, and 100% online. Fill it out, review your quote, Accept and pay in as little as 10 minutes. ALPS is the nation's largest direct writer of lawyers' malpractice insurance, and they are endorsed by more bar associations than any other carrier, so they understand law firms. They also know how valuable your time is, and that's why they make legal malpractice insurance easy. Visit alpsinsurance.com to learn more. That's A-L-P-S Insurance.com. And now let's get back to the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. This episode, we're going to go back to our hot
0: or not format. We pick a tech topic in the news and discuss whether it's hot or not. We might agree, we might disagree, but you'll get our insights and perspectives on the topic. And you are, of course, welcome to suggest future hot or not topics to us. This episode's topic comes from me, I saw recently that Samsung will be bringing out more foldable phones and tablets, or maybe it's more accurate to say devices with foldable screens. So these have been around for a while. And and frankly, I really haven't seen any or, or certainly very few of them out in the wild. So Tom is our foldable device expert. Tom, are foldable devices now going to become hot or not?
1: Well, calling me a foldable device expert is debatable. Um, To explain why Dennis says that, I first have to explain that there are two types of foldable devices these days. Um, The first is what I would call a pure foldable. The screen is made of flexible material that you can literally fold in half, just like it sounds. Early versions of these kinds of phones, the material that they were made of started to show signs of wear with age. The more you folded it, it would start to show a crease in the middle. And having a phone with a crease in the middle just felt cheap and not great. But these phones were not cheap. They're expensive. Now, newer versions are getting better with their materials. This This is less of an issue, but that's sort of how I have viewed the pure foldable market. The other kind uses hinges to hold the phone together. So the screen itself doesn't fold. Instead, it's like two screens that are connected by a hinge that fold together. Um, No annoying crease, but it's been replaced by what may be an annoying gap in between the two displays. I owned a Microsoft Duo for a minute. Um, It was a hinge foldable. Uh, Microsoft got the hinges right, but not a lot else. Um, In the end, it wasn't the right form factor to me. It didn't really feel like a phone. It felt like a little mini tablet, um, and it didn't have a a space in my devices area. Um, But the idea of the foldable phone is still intriguing, right? I mean, phones are good. Tablets are good. So let's build a phone that unfolds into a tablet. Best of both worlds, right? Um, Dennis, to slightly correct your your intro, Samsung didn't announce more foldable devices. Just updated foldable devices. They they introduced two over the past week. The first one is the Z Fold 4, which is an update of last year's Z Fold 3. It's got some improvements over last year's model. It's, it's a pure foldable device um, where you fold it together, and when you fold it, 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 it opens up into what looks like a kind of a tablet size, a little bit bigger than a phone. But when you fold it up, it looks, it has a size that they call it candy bar style. So it's not quite uh, as wide as a regular phone would be. Um, They also introduced a flip phone. It's called the Z Flip 4, an update again of last year's Z Flip 3. It looks like your traditional flip phone, but when you open it, you get a full size smartphone when you open it up there, or at least close to a full size smartphone. Both of these appear to be reasonable upgrades, I think, to the older designs. But here's the problem I've got. To get a foldable device, Samsung had to make a lot of compromises. The cameras are not as good. Uh, They're twice as thick as a smartphone when you fold them. The batteries are not as good. I would say the biggest advantage of a foldable is multitasking. You can run two apps side by side, which is pretty cool. But I just don't think that I want to downgrade my phone only to get a half-decent tablet. Um, So that's why I'm going to say that foldable devices are hot, but only for a niche group of buyers, the people who are really looking for them. Otherwise, I'm going to say pretty cold. Dennis, what about you?
0: Yeah, it struck me as a a solution in search of a problem. And and maybe coming out uh, a little bit after. Uh, the point where there there would be a market for it, um, and so let me explain what I mean there. So it used to be that we we had the smartphones, and as they got a bit bigger, it became hard to find pockets and purses and you know other things to to put them in that they fit well, you know, and then sometimes just the form factor themselves uh, was a, was a little bit big. Well, I think that. Over time, now you've pockets are bigger. People keep saying they're going to make, uh, you know, women's clothes with pockets. So it's, it's going to get evened up. So that need to have that sort of flip phone form factor that's smaller and flips open uh, and closed. I don't think there's as much need for it anymore. And, and then the second thing is I don't think that many of us use smartphones for phones anymore. You know, so the idea is to have like the the smartphone and we're using for everything else but talking on it uh, kind of uh, changes our relationship with the device. And so that, that flip phone, it seems like it's, it's optimized a bit more for the telephone experience, which I think we re- rely on less. What you're saying is sort of interesting that I have a smaller form factor and then it, it becomes larger. You know, maybe, but again, it's, it sort of feels like I don't. I don't really have a need for that. Um, so I, I actually think I'm going to come down really close to you, Tom. I, I think there is a group that uh, that something like this could make sense for, uh, but the trade-offs that you were outlining are really significant. So I'm going to go with the the cool, but uh, potentially in in a couple years. Uh, you know, with with advances and maybe figuring out what, uh, as I always say, what job it is that you're doing or what problem you're solving. They could become more significant, but I would hate to bet on it uh, or put my own money on it. Let's, let's put it that way. So now it's time for our parting shots. That one tip, website, or observation you can use the second this
1: podcast ends. Tom, take it away. So I will start my parting shot by once again referring you to the American Bar Association bookstore where you can order a copy of the Lawyer's Guided Collaboration Tools and Technologies: Work From Home Edition. Uh, it uh, is on, available for pre-order now, but it will be on sale for all buyers by the end of August. at the At the very latest is our is our great hope. My real parting shot is: um, I, I've been spending I spent a lot of time last week. Um, uh, working, w- doing citation research for some clients um, and looking at legal regulations around the world. And I had to spend a lot of time in Belgian regulations, which for whatever reason, choose only to provide those regulations in Dutch, German, and French. And there's no English translation. And I came across, as I was talking to somebody who provides the citations to us, he pointed me to a site called D-E-E-P-L D-E-E-P-L.com. I'll put a link in the show notes. Um, and it is um, a new, well, it's not even a new translation service. They say they've been out since 2017. I haven't paid attention to them if I was aware of them at any time. But um, looking at them, um, it's very intriguing. Um, they translate text for 28 languages, so not as much as Google, but they claim to be three to six times more accurate than any other translation service that's out there, no matter where it's whether it's Amazon or Microsoft or Google or any of the other translation services. You can also drag PDF files, Word documents, PowerPoint files into this tool, and it will translate. Translate the documents for you as well. The general translation tool on the website is free. You can also download either a Windows version for your computer or an iOS version for your iPhone or your iPad. Um, I'm really intrigued. I haven't had a lot of chance to put it through its paces, but I'm intrigued by this. So if you're, if you're frustrated with Google Translate or others, then you've got another option here, Deeple.com.
0: It's a great option to uh, f- uh, alternative to Duolingo too, right? because you can, it does all the work for you. So one of the things that happens fairly often, or it happens if you uh, have friends like I have on Facebook, is that every now and then somebody will say, like, I'm really sorry my account got hacked, and so don't accept an invitation from something that looks like it came from me. And so, uh, and somebody asked me the the, the other day, like, uh, I think that uh, my Facebook account got hacked. What should I do? And so there's a great uh, little article by Anya Zukova on the online tech tips site. It's called What to Do When a Friend's Facebook Account is Hacked or Duped. And... Uh, it actually does what it says. So if you run into that situation or you see somebody on Facebook who's been hacked, then you can you, uh, have a step-by-step approach
1: or you could just send them the article. So a terrific little resource. And so that wraps it up for this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. You can find show notes for this episode on Legal Talk Network's page for the show. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes uh, on the Legal Talk Network site where you can find archives of all of our previous podcasts um, or in your favorite podcast app. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you know where to find us. We're on LinkedIn. We're on Twitter. And we always love to get your voice messages. Please call us at 720-441-6820. So until the next podcast, I'm Tom Mile.